Hey everyone, welcome. This is episode 8 of the Van Life Lab podcast, where we dive into the trials and joys of both van life and van building. Today we're going to address possibly the biggest question we get on all of Instagram, and that's the science behind getting reliable internet on the road. As our name suggests, we're two engineers who live on the road and we absolutely need reliable internet. Colby and I have put tons of hours into researching this topic and we can truly say that we found the ultimate solution for internet on the road, and it's not what you might expect. Before we get into it, we want to ask that you give this new Van Life podcast review and rating wherever you're listening today. It takes just a few minutes and helps us out a ton. And now to the good stuff. Today's episode is a solo between Colby and I, as Kayla is off crossing borders down in Central America, and as you may remember from previous episodes, that takes quite a bit of time. So, Colby, where are we coming to our listeners from today? Yeah, you guys are going to be happy to hear that we're in a new state, Utah, sitting in a parking lot in Arches National Park. We just wrapped up three months of winter in Colorado, and it is time to thaw out. I think it's barely above freezing, but anything above freezing is t-shirts weather for me. (laughs) So, Colby, why do we need reliable internet on the road, and why is it so hard to find a good answer online when researching internet for van life? Yeah, a couple of reasons. Recently, I think there's just been an uptick in remote work. If you guys have been around, you might have heard of this thing called COVID, where a lot of companies started allowing their workers to be remote, including mine. So I am a software engineer, and like Eric mentioned, I do work full-time on the road remotely. And when we were doing our first build, I can attest that it was extremely difficult to find answers online. I think technology is evolving, there's new solutions, and there's just more people out there who need reliable internet on the road. And I think it's also a roadblock that many people have because the information is not out there. People are nervous to begin van life because they need a job that needs internet, you know, nine to five or eight hours a day, like I do. And that's part of why we're doing this podcast. That's why we've written many guides on our blog to the science of internet, how it works and how to get it on the road. We're trying to change that and we we hope this podcast can help people. I think also one thing to note here is exactly what you said the solution needs to be for reliable internet and not just fast kind of (laughs) chaotic internet i'll call it there's solutions out there that you know you'll see really fast speeds for but they're not consistent speeds you know if you're getting 100 megabits down for one minute but then the connection drops out that's going to kick you off a zoom call no matter how fast it is so everything we're going to talk about today is reliable consistent internet that will allow you to work nine to five eight hours a day without um, dropouts or or difficulty you know staying on those zoom calls or staying connected yeah internet 90 percent of the time just isn't going to cut it you can't be missing one out of every 10 zoom meetings and expect to be i mean performing well at your job so that's really what we're going to shoot for today I think we should start with why getting internet on the road is so difficult, and I'm sure everyone can at least agree on this. Definitely, that's the perfect place to start because as engineers, the way we find solutions is by finding problems and solving them. So in my mind, there are two major problems to getting internet on the road. 
The first is the nature of internet as it stands today. Internet is a wire, a fiber optic cable that you don't know, but runs underground to all these buildings, offices, houses. And that's why we can just move into a new apartment and essentially plug into the internet. All those places are connected. But obviously, when you're driving around in a van, you're not attached to that internet wire. And you're constantly running into different obstructions, different mountains, different trees, different objects that get in the way of you and the cell towers that are essentially going to be providing you cell signal that we turn into internet. So not only can we not just connect to the wire, but in turn we're trying to turn cell signal into internet and we're creating basically different problems every day as we drive around. And the second major problem, again, with the cell towers. So I, I think I should actually back up. The way, the, the most reliable way right now to get internet is by turning radio frequency cell signal into usable internet. It's what our phones do. When your phone has data, it's because it's attached to a, it's communicating with a cell tower that is allowing it to basically send packets back and forth. So that's what we're doing with cell towers is we're turning those radio frequency cell signals into usable data for our laptops. And because, circling back to the second problem, um, we live in a metal box. So as we're driving around, we have put ourselves in a Faraday cage that is essentially designed to not let signal in and out. So if you're sitting, you know, in the back of your van, like Eric and I are right now, your phone trying to communicate to the cell tower or use its internet connection is having a really hard time getting through the walls of your van. So we need to solve the problem of being inside a metal box all the time. So living in a metal box and always moving around, how do you address those problems? Great question. And that is going to be our our personal ultimate, you know, internet solution. And starting with the metal box problem, the first thing we do personally is we get an antenna on top of our roof. So now instead of pulling signal from inside the metal box to the cell towers, we're basically having an antenna on our roof that can gather signal outside of the metal box and pull it into the van. And what it's pulling it into is actually a router. And this router allows us to enter SIM cards and these SIM cards are for all different carriers. So AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, or, or anything else, depending on your country. And then since we're pulling that signal from outside in, in that router, then we can combine those cell signals in turn making it stronger and then turning it into usable Wi-Fi inside the van. Let me just see if I have this straight. So the cell tower is connected to a wire. The cell tower emits a signal band that we collect with our antenna. Our antenna is connected to another wire to bring that inside the metal box. And then the router inside the van emits its own signal for our devices to pick up. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly correct. Great job. I think the other thing that I probably should have added to the router is the importance of having a router instead of, say, a hotspot, is that these routers are much more configurable than your phone or a hotspot. It allows you to actually force bands 
And a band is actually, think of it like a highway that signal travels on. So when you use your phone, you're not allowed to really control what band your phone is using as signal. So you get, you know, say maybe a really clogged band. So if you're in a really crowded area, like a national park, like us right now, your phone might slow down and you might have noticed that before. And that's because the band is clogged. But when you use a router, you can actually go into your router and see which band it's using to pull signal and see if it's clogged. You can just toggle that band right off and use a less clogged band. And when we say band, we just mean a frequency band. This is the base wave that all of our information is encoded upon and that's how you know the wave travels and uh, is emitted and picked up as information. Now a lot of van lifers have been trying out Starlink. Starlink is a low orbit satellite solution. How does that work? I'm glad you asked about this because I think this has kind of become the uh, end-all be-all for internet on the road. And I want to first start by saying that we do have this and we have thoroughly tested it. So our, my um, opinion on it is based on my experience. So like you said, yes, Starlink is a low orbit satellite that works by sending scheduled internet basically down to cells. And these cells are like pre-designed, you know, geo... I don't want to say fences, but kind of like that. And what these cells do is you sign up for Starlink and in regular Starlink, not Starlink RV, you're assigned to a cell and those cells can get overloaded. They can have too many, too many people on them. And depending on the number of people using Starlink within a cell, your speed will be, your internet speed will be established. What Starlink RV is, so Starlink for travelers is you're allowed to move between cells and keep your internet coverage. However, the caveat there is that if you're moving between cells, you are deprioritized. So if you drive um, to a new area and you enter a new cell, but that cell is very popular, then since you're a portable user, you are automatically deprioritized to get like the least least fast internet. There's a couple other things to know about Starlink RV. I think that in three to five years, it is going to be an incredible, incredible solution for people on the road. However, right now, because of the number of satellites, because of, you know, figuring out the kind of kinks in regular users versus people moving between cells, the fast speeds that you see maybe pictures of on Instagram or in blogs are not there all of the time. Um, that's a that's a combination between obstructions being present. So because Starlink is satellites in the sky, it needs an incredibly clear view of the sky. So even like where we're sitting now, we have, I would say, a clear view of the sky. But there is a little bit of a rock outcropping that is really cutting our speeds and causing the internet to drop to zero about once every five minutes. And if you're on a Zoom call, this is not just your internet speed getting faster and slower. This is your internet speed going from usable to zero, which is going to boot you out of your Zoom call. So all in all, it, it's a technology that is getting there. 
However, it's, in our opinion, not reliable if you have, you need to be connected eight hours a day reliably. Yeah, I think your Zoom call dropping is the exact definition of reliable versus fast. Reliable is there all the time. Fast just shows you you have a quick speed at that moment. One more thing that might be an impediment to van lifers is just the setup and power draw that Starlink uses as opposed to other solutions. What uh, does setup look like and how much power does it actually draw? Yeah, so the setup is one of the trickier parts for us. The reason why we love our router and antenna combo is because it's on 24-7. No matter where we are, we can just connect to it when we're driving, when we're, you know, stop for five minutes. However, if we want to use our Starlink, it's obviously not... So I should mention that we have the non-high-speed permanently mounted one that most people have. Every time we want to use it, we need to crawl up to the roof, put it there, run a, a cable through our window, plug it in. And looking at our Victron app right now, it's drawing about 48 watts, which if you're going to use 10 hours a day, it's about 40 amp hours, which is quite a bit. And we need to note that you also do need your inverter on to use this right now because it is AC power. However, I should also note that a couple of months ago, Starlink did release a high-performance permanently mounted antenna, so it almost kind of looks like a solar panel. It's bigger, and you flat-mount it on your roof, and the benefit there is I have read that it, it does do better with obstructions. However, you do need to note that it is going to use more power because it is a bigger antenna, and you're gonna lose your roof space for a roof deck or solar panels because you are permanently mounting it up there. So there are workarounds for the non-permanently mounted antenna that people are doing to mount it up there, but you do lose warranty on your antenna if you use it in motion. Yeah, and that additional roof space is kind of a double whammy because you have this big antenna that uses more power but you lose available space to put solar panels. So you're gonna have less power in your van to power that. What about cell boosters? We had a cell booster in our first van, Rocket. Remind me how that worked for us and why we even ended up trying one. Yes, so cell boosters, I am so glad you asked because this is one of the things that one person wrote, or maybe more more than one person wrote, a blog post about many, many years ago for getting internet on the road, and everyone just kind of adopted it, including us. And I think we need to take time to understand why, what cell boosters are, and what they were made for, and why they are not good for internet on the road. So let's start with what they are. At a base level, cell boosters are repeaters. They don't gather more signal. Basically, they take whatever signal is present and repeat it. And Eric, can you give us a visual of what maybe a bad and a good signal might look like? Yeah, when we say signal, it's just information carried on a wave. And that wave can have a number of problems or properties associated with it. You can have a weak or a strong signal, which is just 
the amplitude of that wave. How big is it? How easy is it for your device to read? And then you can have, you know, an obstructed or a low quality signal where you have, you know, enough of the base wave, but there's noise on top of that wave. And the repeater will repeat the signal no matter what is incoming. So if you have, if you already have a strong signal, you're going to be repeating the signal and the noise. If you have a weak signal and there's noise on top of that signal, that's the worst scenario, you're also repeating the noise. The only place where it's going to work is if you have a weak signal, so a low amplitude signal, but high quality. So that that sine wave and the information on that sine wave is very clean. And if you repeat that, you're only repeating basically good information. So that's where your cell booster is going to perform. It's in that very niche um, instance where maybe you have one or two bars and the signal quality is good. There's no filtering of that signal with a cell booster. Yeah, so if this podcast teaches you anything, if you have $600 to drop on a cell booster, we have some better ideas for you. It's just too niche, like Eric said, of a scenario where it's useful. And I do want to add two more things. If you look into the history of cell boosters, they are not built for creating internet. They were made for increasing the uh, clarity of voice calls. We just kind of repurpose them into maybe this will work for internet too. And the other thing is since cell boosters have been around the longest, they're actually really regulated by the FCC. And more and more so, you know, every year, certain bands won't even allow you to repeat signal on them. All right, so that's cell boosters typically paired with a hotspot. Now I recall asking about hotspots earlier and you said we would come back to them. Why did we get a hotspot and was it any good? <laughs> yeah, it's good to mention that we we did fall victim to all these solutions in our first build. We had a cell booster, we had a hotspot cuz like I said that's all that's out that's all that was out there. The reason why a hotspot might not be the solution folks are looking for is because a hotspot falls victim right to the the number one problem that we talked about before and that's that we're in a metal box so when you get a hot spot it's no better than your phone just sitting on the counter in your van um you're you're fighting against the faraday cage you're you still have the obstructions and it's also sitting lower so the major benefit to our antenna is that it's really high up by nature signal is better the higher you go so a hot spot is basically just an expensive phone and hotspots are often deprioritized a lot faster than your phone may be just because i think cell carriers think they're kind of you know additional nice to haves so yeah all in all a hotspot sounds like a way to get internet and it is however you are really just getting an expensive tethering option off your phone and you're also limiting yourself to one carrier, right? So the benefit to our router is that we can pick and choose whatever signal from whatever carrier is strongest and combine them together. Whereas if you're getting a hotspot, you're getting a plan through that one carrier and you're really tying yourself to that, which 
you know, might work really well in one state, but when you cross a border, all of a sudden, you know, AT&T is better than T-Mobile and, and you're, you're tied to your, the hot, whatever hotspot you got. So we may have covered this earlier after all of our mistakes of going for the hotspot, going for this, uh, the cell booster, just repeating that bad signal in our second fan. What did we actually end up with? What was the actual hardware that we, we put in our van? Yeah, good question. I was pretty vague when I said, get a router and an antenna. <laughs> so what we did is we got a PEP link router. And these are routers that they actually use in a lot of emergency vehicles. So they're, they're tried and true. And we got a unlimited AT&T and T-Mobile SIM card and placed those inside that router. And then additionally, we hooked that up to a 7-in-1 MIMO antenna called the Parsec Husky Pro. And what that is, when I say MIMO, it means multiple in, multiple out. So our antenna is, instead of just talking to these cell towers on one, say, like, highway of signal, we have multiple ways to talk in and out. So that's what MIMO means. So... When we think back to the cell booster where we said it's not gathering more signal, it's repeating the same signal, what our antenna is doing is literally gathering more signal. It is talking to that cell tower way more than our phones are. And I can personally, and you probably can too, think of many scenarios where we pulled up to a campsite and we looked at our phones and we were like, oh crap, like our phones don't have signal, I can't work here. And then we attach to our Wi-Fi and we're like, oh, we're good. Like our antenna's got it covered. So it's really, really great. And it is extremely reliable. I haven't, I remember in our first van how many times I would think about Signal and, oh, can I work here? Can I work here? And we couldn't ever. And I don't think we've thought about, can we work from this campsite in four months since getting this internet solution? It's really, really great. Yeah, it has been just lovely. And that 7-in-1 uh, stands for, those 7 antennas are broken up into 4 antennas for LTE, 2 antennas for cell, and 1 antenna for GPS. So you have the most uh, types of antennas that are LTE, that basically gather uh, internet that's broadcasted. Is that, that's kind of right? <laughs> <laughs> They're talking to the cell towers, yes. So four, four different antennas that are talking to those uh, cell towers. And that's a great point. Thanks for breaking down the antennas because I also forgot the benefit to our router is that, um, like Eric said, there's two Wi-Fi antennas as well. So we can pilfer Wi-Fi like it's our job. Like if, we, <laughs> if we're in a, you know, a laundromat parking lot and there's public Wi-Fi, you can use those antennas to also pull those Wi-Fi signals into your combined signal that you have. So we could tie it into our cell signal as well. And that is actually how we use Starlink. So whenever we do pull out our Starlink, if there's a clear view of the sky, which is typically in the southwest, we have success, um, not really in the PNW, but we'll we'll broadcast that. Um, Starlink internet as Wi-Fi and then tether that Wi-Fi into our router so it kind of smooths over the dropouts if that makes sense. Can't you also admit your Wi-Fi signal outside of the van with that Wi-Fi antenna? 
Yes, we definitely can. We personally have broadcasted ours inside the van because that's where we work most, but you can also control that to emit Wi-Fi outside. Well, we've also been in Colorado where it's cold all season. I'm sure once uh, summer ramps into gear, uh, we'll be spending more time outside and probably emitting Wi-Fi outside because we'll be working just out lounging at, I don't know, a campground or in our chairs. The dream. I am looking forward to it. (laughs) Me too. It's definitely that time. We loved winter van life and we can't wait for next season, but let's open these doors. It is nice just to have all the airflow. Well, thank you, Colby, for all of the wonderful information. If you prefer uh, to read about and revisit this information, we will link our ultimate van life guide to internet on the road in the show notes. And we'll drop some more uh, links in the show notes for you to uh, look at the solutions we discussed today. As always, you can reach out to us on Instagram at Engineers Van Life. We are there to answer all of your van building questions. And until next time, have a great day. See you next week. Bye.